This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Grab your Bible, turn to the book of James, chapter number two, if you would, tonight. James chapter two, we're continuing our series entitled Practical Christianity. And so if you missed any of the messages so far, uh, this is message number 19 in our series. And so we're uh, cruising right through the book of James. Um, and so if you missed anything so far, you can always get caught up on our website or through the Hui Kala app. I'll also remind you that if you have the Hui Kala app on your mobile device, the notes are now available in PDF form and also through the fill-in notes in the Hui Kala app. And so uh, those of you who like to take notes that way, you can do that through the uh, Hui Kala app now for our PM services as well. And so we're also running uh, a trial as well of uh, just recording our uh, evening services to video and then posting those to the Hui Kala app later. We're not currently live streaming the, our evening services. Um, and the primary reason for that is I want people to come to church. Um, and so I don't want you to ever feel like, oh, I'm kind of tired. Um, it's a lot easier to sit home and watch the service because sitting home watching the service is not the same as being a part of the body of Christ. And so uh, that's that. Uh, also, a couple of quick announcements before we jump into the message. I want to remind you, of, don't forget that uh, next week is our, our next Sunday is our uh, missions emphasis offering. So I want to encourage everybody to th- be thinking about what you can give next week for our missions emphasis offering. Uh, we also have a, an additional missionary family we're taking on for financial support every month. And so just to give you a heads up, we have four missions projects that we support. Uh, we support Youth for Christ that uh, basically uh, helps us to get into Christian Armstrong public schools here with uh, the gospel. And so we give them $200 on a monthly basis. Our three missionary families uh, we give $250 a month to the Copiat family in Papua New Guinea. Uh, their church uh, planting, uh, preaching, teaching, as well as medical missions as well. Uh, Tiffany uh, actually grew up in Kaneohe and is an awesome, awesome woman of God. Uh, she has her nursing degree and is a medical missionary over there. Uh, went over as a single lady to Papua New Guinea, met her husband Jay uh, over there. They got married and have two beautiful kiddos now uh, as well. And so Tiffany comes back to visit family from time to time. You might see her in one of our services. Her and Jay were here earlier this year, uh, and I think Jay came up um, uh, at the end of the service and gave a word of testimony, but awesome family. Uh, also, we, uh, at the summertime, uh, took on the uh, Lovegrove family to Ethiopia as our missionaries as well, and so Josh and uh, Ruth Lovegrove are doing a phenomenal job in Ethiopia. Uh, there are currently a lot of civil unrest and civil war taking place in Ethiopia, so pray for them if you would. Uh, they had to, to basically leave uh, to get some, not only some medical treatment, but also uh, just safety. Uh, and so they're out of, uh, out of country for just a little bit, hoping to go back mid-December uh, and continue to do their work there. And then uh, Garen and Annalise Patrick, uh, missionaries to Nigeria, I had a conversation with them this past week, about a 20-minute long conversation that's available on the Hui Kala app, if you have that available, uh, just click on that and you can listen to uh, our conversation we had, I think it'd be a blessing and encouragement to you. Uh, but we want to take, we have four missions projects we support right now on a monthly basis, so we want to double that by this time next year. And we can only do that if, if we uh, actually have the funds to support that. And so we wanted to basically make the the issue known uh, that we want to support more missionaries and and ask you to do your part to help us to financially support them. And so, uh, again, uh, right now we have about $1,000 a month that goes out of missions, uh, support to missionaries. We want to double that, so we need $2,000 worth of giving uh, just to missions. And so uh, that goes, that's aside from our regular tithes and offerings uh, that support us here. And so I want to keep that before you, and we want to continue to pray for our missionaries around the world and continue to be a part of that. We're going to talk more about missions next Sunday morning. You want want to miss out on that. But tonight, uh, the book of James. Also, I want to give you a quick update as well. Uh, my daughter, Makila, is currently in the hospital at uh, Kapilani uh, Hospital. 
her doctors have been trying to get a lot of different tests, trying to figure out what's going on with her. She has some numbness in her legs uh, and things like that. I'm not really sure what it is. And so they have about six or seven different tests that they wanted to do, and all of them were supposed to be outpatient. And so, but if you know how medical appointments go, you get one test done, and then it takes two weeks to read it, and then you get two more weeks to get referred to somebody, and then two weeks to make an appointment, and then you get your test, and then they take three weeks to set up the test, and it just takes forever. And so uh, her doctor this past week says, hey, it's probably best we just put her in the hospital on Thursday, get all the tests we need run uh, at once, and then figure out a, a treatment plan from there. And so that's kind of where we're at right now. Uh, she had an MRI yesterday, uh, and they found some things that they said aren't necessarily normal. They didn't go so far as to call it an abnormality. Uh, they were very careful with the words that they chose, but some things that just didn't look right. And so they're doing some further testing tomorrow morning on that. And so let's continue to pray for her. She's not hooked up to any IV. She's not taking any medication. She's just sitting in a bed uh, watching TV, waiting for them to call her number. And so, but uh, just continue to pray for her. That would be a, a huge blessing uh, to us as well. James chapter two tonight, really uh, important message here uh, because we're talking about him entitled tonight's message, authentic faith. James has been talking about the relationship between faith and works, and we've been taking a look at really kind of unpacking over the next last couple of weeks uh, the relationship between faith and works. We're not saved by works. We're saved by the grace of God, by faith alone. We're saved by confessing Christ as Savior and true, genuine, heartfelt repentance, uh, and, th that, and that alone is what saves us, and so it's not our works that we do. But if we are truly, legitimately, biblically saved, our life will be different, Good works will come out of our life as a result of uh, a salvation and a real saving faith. Our life will be different and works will flow from that. And James says, hey, if you think you can show me your faith without works, I'd love to see it, but let me show you my faith by my works. And so we're taking a look at that uh, over the last couple of weeks and probably for uh, this week uh, and as well as next week, we're going to take a look at uh, verses, I believe it's uh, 19 and 20 uh, next week. But um, good stuff in this passage of scripture. Uh, verse number 14, James chapter 2, verse number 14. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and hath not works? Can faith save him? And the answer to that is yes. If a brother is, or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, what if he say unto them, Depart in peace and be warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful for the body? What doth it profit? Even so faith that hath not works is dead, being alone. Yea, a man say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. You and I need to be very, uh, we need to be experts when it comes to the gospel. Uh, we need to know the gospel forwards, backwards, and, and every other direction you can. You need to know Bible verses that point people to the gospel because not only should you be living the gospel, you should be sharing the gospel. And if someone came to who we call a Baptist church like they did this morning and said, I don't know for sure if I died today, I would go to heaven. I should be able to grab any adult that's been attending church here for six months or more and say, hey, can you sit down with Joe and share the gospel with him? That's how well you should know it. Because we talk about it every single week of the world. Uh, by most of the people in this room, I know your salvation testimony of how you got saved. You should be able to crack your Bible and sit down and share with someone how they can put their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. Uh, usually twice a year, we have a uh, one-day clinic that we call Sharing Jesus, where we 
We had an eight-hour training session where we talk about how we share our faith with other people. And you need to uh, get some good training so that you can share Jesus better. On the back table, every single week of the world are some books called Paid in Full. That's a really short uh, explanation of the gospel uh, because you should know the gospel. Jesus Christ died for sinners in their place, and anyone who puts their faith in Jesus can be saved. And that salvation is not a matter of what we do, what church we attend, what religious works we do, baptism, communion, those things have nothing to do with salvation. Salvation is by putting our faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and repenting of our sin. Now that word repentance is a unique word and it's a really good Bible word. Uh, the Greek word that's used for that is the Greek word metanoia, which literally means a change of mind. And the idea is this, and the, the word, Greek word metanoia also means to agree with God. And basically it means that I have changed my mind that my sin is okay. I have chosen to agree with God that my sin is a damnable offense. It will send me to a literal hell that burns with literal fire. And I have chosen to agree with God, which requires me to change my mind. We sometimes say that repentance is a change of mind, which results in a change of heart, which results in a change of direction. And to repent means I must turn from my sin. And anytime I turn from something, I turn to something. And I turn from my sin, and I turn to Christ. Now, if I refuse to turn from my sin, and I continue in my sin, and continue to live the way that I have before I've made a profession to follow Christ, yet never actually turn to Christ, there is no repentance there. Therefore, there is no salvation there. Now again, some people see this as a blurring of the lines between the works-based salvation, uh, but James here would disagree with that. He would say, hey, if you're legitimately saved, your life will show that. If you really turn from your sin and turn to Christ, your life will be evidently different, obviously different to people around you. So this is not a works-based salvation. You couldn't work your way to heaven if you wanted to. This is not a matter of, of changing my life so that hopefully God will accept, accept me. God always rejects your good works for salvation. And so, but the idea is this, that when I truly have faith that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, when I truly make Jesus Christ my Lord and Master, when I truly repent and turn from my sin and turn to Christ, my life will change. That's why the Bible says old things are passed away, all things are become new because we're now a new creature in Christ if we have been saved. I remember... Um, when Hui Kala first started, with the first uh, few weeks, we began again to talk about what, what it meant to be a biblical church. We went through some uh, things that made us distinctively unique, the Bible being our sole authority for all matters of faith and practice, and uh, things along those lines. That's probably the first eight weeks or so. And then uh, I began to teach uh, what it meant to be a holy church. I, I, I preached a series on holiness in those early days. I'm talking like early, early days, like first couple of months, uh, early days. And then we began to, I thought, I'm going to get up the guts to finally preach through a book of the Bible. And so uh, I, I didn't really know if Hui Kala was going to be around in six months, so I didn't want to pick something like, you know, the book of John. Uh, and so uh, I picked the shortest book that I could think of in the New Testament, Philemon. And I preached through the book of Philemon. Uh, and, and there was a series entitled Everything in Its Right Place. And so we uh, began to talk through the book of Philemon. And we made it through Philemon. Man, praise God for that. It was awesome. And then we went to another book that I thought to myself, okay, we, it looks like we might be around six months from now. Uh, maybe God's doing it. Again, it's just week to week at this point. 
And so I chose the book of 1 John because I thought 1 John would be an encouragement. You know, 1 John talks about how God is love and, uh, you know, that, that we love God because he first loved us. It's a lot of things talking about the love of God. And, and so I basically announced to the church, hey, we're going to be going through the book of uh, 1 John. And then I actually sat down and read the book of 1 John. And while John talks a lot about, uh, you know, that uh, the love of God and love of God being in us and God's love for us, if we love one another, if we love God, we'll love our brothers and stuff like that, all good and true. John also goes on to say, if any man say that he's without sin, he is a liar. If any man say that he knows the Lord yet continues in sin, he is a liar. And it's just like, whoa, John, you got really deep. Like, let's go back to all the love stuff, right? But, but John's like, oh, no, no, no. John says, if you're a Christian, your life should back that up. And if you're not living, John, again, read 1 John. It'll open your eyes up and cause you to perk up. John says, if you call yourself a Christian, but you're not living like a Christian, there's a very good possibility that you don't even know who God is, much less be a Christian. And so it's a real kind of eye-opener. Because some of us grew up in circles and in churches where, hey, just repeat the sinner's prayer and you can go to heaven. I attended a, a Baptist church in Malaysia a couple of years ago. Or on a Sunday night, the visiting evangelist says, hey, let's all just pray this prayer together. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. And I'm just looking around going, I'm in a room full of 250 people who are all praying, quote, the sinner's prayer. Did anybody get saved that night? I would venture to say probably not. But they could say we had 250 people pray the sinner's prayer. That doesn't amount to a hill of beans. Because when it comes to salvation, salvation is more than praying a prayer. It's true saving faith and repentance. Again, pet peeve for this guy right here, I admit that it's a, a personal problem that I have, is the, quote, sinner's prayer. You don't find it in the Bible anywhere. Again, if you have a Gideon's Bible in a hotel or something like that, it might be in the back of Gideon's Bible. And again, I'm thankful for anybody who would put Bibles in hotels and who maybe even offer the plan of salvation in the back. I get it. I'm for it. But please understand, nobody ever got saved by praying a prayer. You go, what? I think I got saved by praying a prayer. Maybe I'm not saved. No. If you legitimately got saved, which again, I, I'm not trying to cause doubt for anybody. I'm trying to provide blessed assurance for you that you're saved here tonight. But if you just thought that by repeating words after another person saved you, then you miscalculated. But if you prayed a prayer from your heart of faith and repentance, Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you died for my sins. I believe that I have broken your law. I believe that I deserve to go to hell. And I'm asking you to save me and forgive me of my sins. And you believe that in your heart and you confess it with your mouth. Friend, you are saved as saved can possibly be. But it's not the words that you said, it's a heart of faith and repentance. And so again, sometimes people say, oh, well, I'm not sure if my brother's saved. I mean, he, he prayed a prayer one time at vacation Bible school in third grade. Well, did anything else happen to him after that in a spiritual walk? The answer to that is no. Well, I would venture to say he's more than likely not saved. Now again, I can't make a determinant whether or not somebody's saved or not. The only person that can do that is that person and God. But again, when we're, we give the, uh, we're given the criteria where to measure someone's spiritual fruit, and we see no spiritual fruit over a period of decades, it's usually a good indication that that person isn't bringing forth fruit because they're more than likely not saved. We're going to be taking a look at a lot of different scripture tonight, so have your Bible handy. I want to encourage you to turn over to 1 John chapter 5, first of all. 
First John chapter 5, uh, let's take a look at verse number 12. First John chapter 5, verse number 12 says this, He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So again, it's not a matter of saying a prayer. It doesn't mean that you have eternal life because you said a prayer one time in church. It's saying that you have eternal life and you know that you do because you believe on the name of the Son of God. And I love what John does here because uh, John in First uh, John chapter 5, verse number 12 basically repeats what he's already said in John, John chapter 3, not 1 John, John chapter 3, verse number 36, where he says, he that hath the Son hath life, but he that hath not the Son hath not life, and the wrath of God abides on him. And so, so John's basically saying here, it's really crystal clear. Either you're saved or you're not. You're not kind of saved, you're not mostly saved. Sometimes I talk with people, I say, hey, I tell you about when you got saved. And again, people, I'm not making fun of anybody. It just shows that where they're at in their understanding of Scripture. Well, the first time that I got saved was here. The second time that I got saved was when I was in junior high. And then one time I went to teen camp and I got saved there. And then when I was in college, I really made sure that it was sure. And then I got saved there. You get saved once and that's kind of it. You either have the son or you have not the son, period. It's black and white. It's binary. It's black, white, one, zero. You have the son or you don't have the son. And that determines your salvation. But again, praying a prayer... Repeating after someone, one, two, three, repeat after me. This is why we're super, super cautious in our children's ministry of leading children to Christ. Because you go in a room full of four and five-year-olds and say, who wants to go to heaven today? Me. Okay, does anybody here want to go to hell? Great. If you want to go to heaven, let's say this prayer. And man, we can lead four and five-year-olds to Christ, quote, uh, in air quotes, I'll say that, by praying, quote, the sinner's prayer. That didn't save anybody. And here's what's going to happen. Those four and five-year-olds are going to grow up one day to say, hey, I think I remember one time in Sunday school, a bunch of us prayed a prayer because we wanted to go to heaven, but I don't really remember that. I don't remember what happened with that, and nothing really changed in my life after that. So again, we need to be really, really, really careful of, of pushing someone into a decision based on, uh, on fear or guilt or something like that and allow the Holy Spirit of God to convict of sin. I got saved when I was nine years old and I have never one time in my entire life ever doubted the fact that I'm legitimately biblically saved. I just haven't. Because I knew that feeling the moment that I was convicted of my sin and I recognized my wretched self at nine years old and realized that Jesus Christ was the only thing that could possibly in the world save me. And I remember sitting beside my bed as a nine-year-old boy putting my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. And I've never one time ever doubted that. Now, have I gone through periods of life where I questioned, is the Bible true? Is this the only way to heaven? And things like that. Sure, I went through a period of self-discovery, I guess you could call it, in my early 20s where I kind of uh, poked uh, at some other stuff to see what was there. And I found myself coming back to the solid rock that is the Word of God and the person of Jesus Christ. But I have never one time doubted the fact that I am saved because I'm not trusting in a prayer. I'm not trusting in what my mom and dad told me that I did. 
I'm not trusting on a fuzzy memory that I had one time in Sunday school. I'm trusting in the fact that I recognized my sinful condition and I repented of my sin. Now, I think all of us, maybe that were saved earlier as we know more about the Bible, will be like, hey, I don't think I really fully grasped everything that was taking place there. I don't think as a nine-year-old boy I understood that when God led the children of Israel out of Egypt and they took a lamb and they slaughtered it and put the blood over the doorpost, I didn't realize that that was a picture of Christ. I got that later. And so, again, sometimes we look back and go, well, I don't think I fully understood it then. And again, if you're growing in your walk with Christ, you'll realize that you'll, you never really fully understood anything to begin with. But I think for us, we have to come back to a time of faith and repentance. Now, when we get to the Bible, which is the only thing that really matters, the evidence in Scripture of salvation is not praying a prayer, but it's the fruit of a changed life. You never find anybody in the Bible that got saved by praying a prayer. And again, we do people a disservice when we ask them if they want to pray the sinner's prayer. Now, would you like to receive Jesus Christ as Savior? Would you like to repent of your sin and receive the gift of salvation? All those are biblical terms. Would you like to be born again? That's a biblical term. Now, to do that, you need to confess your need for Christ. You need to agree with God about your sin and repent of your sin and seek God's forgiveness. How do we do that? We do that by confessing that with their mouth. But oftentimes when talking with people, I'll ask them, would you just like to pray on your own and confess that before God right now? And sometimes people say, yeah, absolutely. And sometimes people just pour their guts out, man. And it's the most beautiful thing to hear someone just pour their heart out before God and seek repentance and confess their, their desire for Jesus Christ to be Lord of their life. It's one of the most beautiful things you'll ever hear in your entire life. And it's things like that that causes heaven to absolutely go raucous, nuts, crazy up there in celebration over one sinner that came to repentance. Man, celebration in heaven. But sometimes people say, oh, I feel kind of awkward. I don't really know exactly how to, to put into words what I'm feeling or what I believe. And so for me, generally I will run them through a series of questions. Do you believe in God? Yes. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Yes. Do you believe that you are a sinner? Yes. Do you believe that you cannot make it to heaven on your own? Yes. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven? Yes. Are you willing to accept his lordship in your life, meaning he has the authority and Lord moving forward? Yes. Are you willing to turn from your sin in effort to turn to Christ? Yes. Now, in a case like that, does anybody really need to pray a prayer at that point? You might as a matter of formality, but the Bible says believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, and that person's just confessed Christ as Lord and repented of their sin. And so for me, sometimes I'll ask people that, and say, hey, it's just a matter of telling God that. And so sometimes I'll allow people to, to pray a prayer. And every now and then somebody will say, oh, I, I really felt kind of awkward. I don't really know exactly what to say. If you could help me, that would be great. And I always stop. Hey, understand, this is not hocus pocus, abracadabra, say the right words, and then you get to go to heaven. This is just a matter of what's taking place in your heart, confessing that to God. If at any point I say something that doesn't reflect how you truly feel at this moment, I want you to stop me. But here's what you should say. And I'll lead them in a prayer uh, that confesses their need for Christ. Is there anything wrong with that? I don't think so whatsoever. But the problem comes when, hey, everybody in this room that wants to go to heaven, repeat these words after me, and then you automatically get to go to heaven. 
Now, there are times like, for example, when we have an Easter service or an open house Sunday where we have a lot of first-time guests and 25 people raise their hand that they need to be saved. Uh, we'll sometimes make an exception and say, hey, if, you're, if you raise your hand, I want you to look at me, and then I'll lead them through the process of confessing Christ. And I'll do that just because I don't want anybody to slip out the door that didn't get somebody to talk to. But 99 times out of 100, you guys know this, somebody raises their hand on Sunday, if they're not sure that they're going to heaven, generally before they ever make it to the sidewalk, two or three people have caught them to ask them about their need for Christ. I, I love that. And again, if you know the gospel, feel free to stop anybody at any point and ask them if they know for sure that they're saved. We send out a, an email when people come to the church for the first time. At the bottom, it has a little survey link where you can fill in your thoughts about our church and things that we could do better. And one person one time, again, in eight years, it's happened one time. One person said, uh, I, was, I was really uh, drawn to Huikala because it was super friendly. And before I made it to my seat, I had at least a dozen people that talked to me before I even found a seat. But one of the things that I found unsettling was what, as I left, I had three people ask me if I died if I was sure I was going to heaven. And I was like, that's a negative? That's a, you put that in the bad section. That's actually a really, really good thing. Then email the person back and say, hey, I just want to let you know that these people love you and they're concerned that when you die that you, you're sure that you go to heaven. And she responded back, I never thought of it that way. Yeah, it's, it's actually a really, really good thing. And so asking people their need for Christ is an incredibly important thing to do. But again, it comes down to not praying a prayer, but a fruit of a changed life. Turn it over to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verse number 13. Matthew 7, 13. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many bear there be that which go in thereat. Hey, a lot of people are going to die and go to hell. A lot. That's what Jesus says. Because straight is the gate, verse 14, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Now, again, Jesus is saying a lot of people are going to go to hell, and a handful, a few people, will actually make it to heaven. Now, you look at that, and you go, well, why would that be? Well, Jesus even said in his time, the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Look, we'll talk about this more next Sunday, but the fact of the matter is, Jesus Christ died and rose again and ascended to heaven 2,000 years ago, and half the world still hasn't heard about it? Whose fault is that? It's my fault. It's your fault. It's our fault. There's people on our island that have never heard about Jesus Christ. Whose fault is that? It's our fault. And so again, we need to, to look deep down inside of ourselves and say, hey, if there's not a lot of people going to heaven... And even if we do our part, Jesus says, there's still going to be few that find it. We can evangelize every single person on this island and share Christ with them. And let me just tell you this, not everybody's going to accept it. And if you've had the opportunity to share Christ with people on multiple occasions, you'll find that your batting average probably isn't uh, above 500, that's for sure. Put it this way, if we were going based on your batting average of winning people to Christ, you probably wouldn't get up to bat. <laughs> Because we're not coming, here's the great part. I want this to comfort you, not discourage you. You were never, ever, ever commanded 
to win someone to Jesus Christ. All you got to do is share the truth. That's it. Hey, I'm just the paper boy tossing out the paper. You don't like the paper? I didn't write it. Hey, I'm just the messenger delivering the message. If you don't like the message, it ain't my fault. Do with it what you will. I'm just commanded to deliver it. But Jesus goes on in verse number 15. He says, beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. And we live in a day today where there are copious amounts of false prophets that call themselves Christians. And so many churches that are masquerading as churches, but they're the den of Satan. Yeah, I said it. Verse 16, ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Verses 17 and 18 are critical to you and I. You see, Jesus doesn't say, hey, everybody's a Christian are the ones that have prayed the prayer. He says, no, 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 no. The good trees, you'll see good fruit coming from them. The bad trees, you're going to see bad fruit coming from them. But you will never see a bad tree bringing forth good fruit, and you'll never see a good tree bringing forth bad fruit. It just doesn't work that way. And here's what he says. If you go to gather grapes, where would you get grapes from? Well, obviously, a grape vine. He says, would you go and gather grapes from the thorns? Would you go to a thorn bush looking for grapes? Of course you wouldn't. Would you gather figs among a bunch of thistles? Of course not. You go to a fig tree. If you were looking for evidence of a Christian, would you look for it amongst thorny, thistly brush? No, of course you wouldn't. You look for a good tree that's bringing forth good fruit. And Jesus goes on to say this, and this is terrifying. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire, wherefore by their fruits ye shall know them. Now some people draw a correlation here between John chapter 15, where Jesus says, hey, every tree that doesn't bear forth good fruit is cut down and cast into the fire. And some people look at this and basically say, hey, if you stop uh, professing Christ or you start, stop going to church, or you stop being a good Christian, then you're cut off from God and you get thrown into uh, hell. That's not what this passage is saying. But Jesus goes on to say something that is incredibly terrifying. Verse number 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Have we not cast out devils in thy name and done many wondrous works? And I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, he, he that work iniquity. There's going to be people who stand before God one day and say, hey, I prayed the prayer. And he's going to be like, wait, what? Yeah, I went to church a lot. I gave a lot of money to the church even. And Jesus is going to say, yeah, that doesn't really count. No, no, no. I confessed you as Lord. I'm calling out Lord, Lord. I'm saying you're my master. And Jesus is saying, you, you can say whatever you want, but your heart is what I'm looking at. And so again, I don't want tonight's message to bring any doubt in anybody's mind. I'm not trying to cause a false sense of doubt in your mind. I'm trying to give you assurance of the fact that you truly are a child of God, that you truly have been born again. Turn back to 1 John uh, chapter 3, if you would.
If you've never read through the book of 1 John, I'd encourage you to read through it this week. It's absolutely fascinating stuff. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, we'll say, look at verse number uh, 14 first. We know that we have passed from death unto life. Because what? We prayed the prayer? Because we did a one, two, three, repeat after me? No, because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Those are pretty heavy words that John says. Hey, if you call yourself a Christian, but you're constantly filled with hatred towards somebody else, you don't fully understand the love of God and there's a good indication that your life doesn't back up what you say. I don't know about you, but that's heavy. If Jesus is saying, a lot of people think they're a Christian, but they're not really. And James goes, or John goes so far as to say, hey, you might think that you're a Christian, but your life doesn't back it up. And here's what he says. You're a murderer, and murderers don't have eternal life. He's basically saying, you're not saved. And so again, we're not talking about, I love people so that I can be saved. It's a matter of, I'm saved, and so because of that, my heart has changed. Again, just what James says, my faith now has produced a work in me that wasn't there before. Back up to verse number 7 in John chapter, uh, 1 John chapter 3 here. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning, for his purpose of the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Now, a lot of confusion in these verses if you don't study them out and find out really what that means. John is not saying, hey, if you sin, you're not saved. If, you're, if you sin, you're a child of the devil. And the only way that you can actually be righteous is by not sinning. That's not what he's talking about here. John is talking about, in this case here, those who live a lifestyle of sin. Not a matter of, hey, I messed up this week. Hey, I did some things this week that I'm not proud of. Hey, there's some things in my life that I'm actively fighting against. But someone who has adopted a lifestyle of sin, who does not fight against sin, who has laid down and made peace with their sin, who does not uh, seek to ch be changed by the Spirit of God, but seeks to lie down and enjoy their sin. John says this, hey, if that's you, and you have chosen to adopt the lifestyle of sin and lay down in your sin and enjoy it, you're not born of God, you're born of the devil. That's the works of Satan in your life. And so again, heavy stuff here. That if you call yourself a Christian, your life is supposed to back that up. And it's not a matter of me and you trying harder or doing better or, or constantly trying to develop new habits. It's about the Spirit of God came to live inside of you the day that you put your faith in Christ. And the Holy Spirit is seeking to make you new day by day by day. Now, true salvation and regeneration will be evidence, uh, evident in our lives If you're truly, legitimately Bible-saved, it's going to show. 
Now, again, you might be scratching your head going, well, when I got saved, there wasn't fruit right away. We'll get to that in just a second. Hey, when I got saved, there wasn't immediate change, but the change came later. We'll get to that in just a second. But again, John, setting us straight here, turn back to First uh, John chapter 1. First John chapter 1, verse number 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Hey, if you say that you're walking with Jesus, but you're actually living in sin, you're not walking with Jesus. <laughs> and here's what John goes, I, I, I love John just really frank. You're a liar. You say that you're a Christian, you say that you're walking with Jesus, and you're walking in sin, you're a liar. Now, if you can imagine a young pastor about six months into a church plant thinking he's going to preach an encouraging book of the Bible in 1 John, and I'm basically getting up on a Sunday night telling you, hey, if you're not walking with Jesus and you say you're a Christian, you're a liar. That really went over really well. Uh, and so uh, it wasn't the encouraging passage of Scripture. Let me just tell you this. It was exactly what our church needed at that time. It was helpful, for sure, because the Bible's always right on point. And so, so John here says, again, if you say that you have fellowship with Christ and walk in darkness, you lie and do not the truth. Verse number seven, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. What a, what a great idea. If we're willing to have fellowship with Christ, we not only walk in the light, but we also have fellowship with other Christians. I'm looking for other people that are walking in the light. I'm looking for other people that are walking with Christ. I don't want to hang out with carnal Christians who are living a fake Christianity, who may not even be saved. I want to surround myself with Christians that are the real deal. Now again, for us, it's not our job to point out who's saved and who's not saved. That's God's job. But we can easily identify Christians that are spiritual and walking with Jesus and Christians that are carnal, that are walking in darkness. And those are the type of people that the Bible says don't have anything to do with those. And let me just tell you while we're here, 1 John uh, chapter 1, verse number 9 is one of the greatest promises to you in all of the Bible. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's been said before, and I, I love this explanation. You are only one heartfelt prayer of repentance away from being fully right with God. That's it. That's why I absolutely abhor any religious system that says you confess your sin, and then you've got to do these five steps, and then maybe God will forgive you or let you off the hook. That goes on, that's the opposite of the gospel. The gospel says you couldn't do anything to be forgiven if you wanted to. You need Christ. You need to confess your sin before God. And once you do, he cleanses you not from most unrighteousness, but from all unrighteousness. Praise God for that. But again, James is telling us, hey, you call yourself a Christian, you need to walk the walk. Again, while we're here in 1 John chapter 2, verse number 4. And he that saith, I know him, speaking of God, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word in him, verily is the love of God perfected or made mature. Hereby we know, get this, hereby we know that we are in him. Think about that. How do we know that we're saved? Because of our love for the commandments of God, our willingness to walk according to the commandments of God. That's how we know that we are in him. 
Not because you prayed a prayer when you were in third grade. Because the Spirit of God resides in you. Because you seek to do the things that please the Lord. Because there's a spiritual fruit in your life. And you might have had a period of your life, whether it be six months or six years, where you walked away from your faith. But the Holy Spirit of God inside of you drew you back in. And brought you back to a place of repentance and brokenness so that God could mold you and shape you into being what he expects you to be. We took a look at this a couple of weeks ago, but lack of spiritual fruit can be either Christians living in rebellion, Christians living in ignorance, or the unsaved person simply being unsaved. When I got saved at nine years old, I put my faith and trust in Christ, I was legitimately Bible saved. When I turned 18, I began to dabble in sin that I was told not to as a kid because I was living in rebellion. But the majority of my lack of spiritual fruit as a young adult was a total ignorance. Nobody ever discipled me. Nobody ever taught me what it meant to be a true follower of Christ, what it meant to be fully, wholeheartedly, lock, stock, and barrel a follower of Christ. I didn't even know that that existed. All I had been around was carnal cultural Christianity of people that went to church on Sunday because it was, quote, the right thing to do. I had never met people that were 110% sold out to Jesus in my life, but I'm telling you this, the first time I saw it, I said, I don't know who these people are, but this is what I want to be. Because for the first time in my life, I saw biblical Christianity. And so be careful. Again, it's not our job to judge other people whether or not they're saved or not saved. Maybe they're a Christian who just never got discipled. Maybe they truly, to the best that they could, put their faith and trust in Christ, but nobody ever taught them what it meant to be a real Christian. Maybe they're a Christian who knows what they're supposed to do. They're just living in outright rebellion, or maybe they're just not saved. Now, I'm going to go through these really quickly. Don't pass out when you, when you hear me say this, but I'm going to give you 10 evidences of salvation. 10. What is evidence of our salvation? Now, I want to pause here for just a second and make sure that you understand the difference between evidence and proof. Those are two different things, okay? Let's say, for example, I tell you that I had Panda Express for dinner on Tuesday night, okay? There might be evidence of that. There's probably a drive through video showing me at Panda Express driving through the drive through and ordering something. If you check my debit card, you'll find a, a charge on Tuesday night to Panda Express on King Street. You might even go through my garbage and find a takeout container from Panda Express. All those are evidences of the fact that I had Panda Express. But you don't have any proof that I cracked the top, stuck my fork in it, and ate it. You don't have any proof of that whatsoever. All you have is evidence that what I said is true. Does that make sense? There's no actual proof. Nobody saw me eating that except for one person. Vanderlei, he sat in the passenger seat while I ate. So there is proof out there, but there's a lot more evidence than there is proof. And the proof, only one person really knows for sure. Whether or not you're saved, one person really knows for sure, and that's you and God. Now, again, is there evidence that you're saved? For sure. Now, lacking evidence doesn't mean that it didn't happen. Didn't mean that you're not saved, but there should be enough evidence to convict you of being a Christian. The first one uh, that I see in Scripture is a love for God and love for others. 
Jesus says, by all this shall all men know that you're my disciples by your love one for another. Jesus went so far as to say this, hey, the entire Bible could be summed up by two commandments. Love the Lord your God with every fiber of your being and love your neighbor the same way that you love yourself. On this hang all the law and the prophets, Jesus said. And if you don't love God and you don't love other people, there's probably a problem there. I was talking with a man several months ago. And he says, yeah, I just, I struggle singing in church. I don't really care for it. Talk to me about that. Well, I just, I don't, I don't feel it. Okay. Is there something inside of your soul that when we sing something like, this the power of the cross, son of God slain for us, what a love, what a cost, we stand forgiven at the cross. Is there something inside of you that just wells up and says, yes, praise God. And he goes, no. Okay. He's like, that just, it doesn't connect with me. My next question, are you sure that you're saved? No, again, it's not a matter of, do you like that song? It's not a matter of, like, does that, is that beat kind of catchy to you, or do you like that style of music? It's like, those words, does that turn something inside of you? And if the answer to that is no, uh, hmm. I don't know what to say to that. Man, I don't know if you heard me tonight in the back. Oh, how marvelous. Oh, how wonderful. And my song shall ever be. Oh, how marvelous. Oh, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Here's the fact. I know who I am. And the fact that anyone could possibly love me knowing what they know about me, shocking to me. But my Savior, man, it's like next level. That's my song forever. I am loved by Christ. Man, what an amazing thought. And, and the song that we heard tonight about just about the sovereignty of God and that Jesus Christ is all of our todays and all of our tomorrows. And that there's been people in our life who have passed on to heaven, and we, but we know that we are just pilgrims here on this earth and we're passing on one day to be able to spend time with God. And while God's gaze is celestial and he looks out at all the planets in the universe, he thinks about you and I. Like Just the thought of that, just, I was just overwhelmed with emotion as I thought about those words. And somebody can hear stuff like that and they're like, yeah, I didn't really care for that. Again, not that you would care for the song or the way that it was sung or the style of the music, but the, the words connecting. A love for God that's deep in the depths of your soul. That's the first indication of the fact, or again, evidence of the fact that you're saved. Secondly, an appetite for spiritual things. I don't know about you, but there's times where I struggle with my Bible reading, doing it consistently maybe, or I struggle with having meaningful times of prayer. Maybe I know that I'm supposed to pray, and I do, but it just doesn't feel like it connects uh, the way that it has at other times. I'm not talking about that, where you just go through periods where you're struggling to kind of get it together. I'm talking about you have little to no appetite for the things of the Lord at all. And oftentimes when we have a little appetite for the things of God, it's generally because we're full of the things of the world. Look, if you're watching 10 hours of television a day, I, I, could, I get it why you probably can't spend 10 minutes in your Bible. I get it, 100%. You don't have an appetite for spiritual things. But when you have the Spirit of God inside of you, you crave spiritual things. I want to be around Christians. I want to gather together with God's people. I want to be in church. 
I want to give. I want to share my faith. I want to pray. I want to be a part of a small group so I can spend time with other Christians and getting to know them. I have a desire for spiritual things. Next, you have a disdain and discomfort with sin. Man, if you had caught me 25 years ago, I was a guy who just had a foul mouth. I grew up in public school, rode the bus to school, and I, I cussed like everybody else did. I joined the Navy out of high school, and when they say they cussed like a sailor, those guys earn those badges, right? And so I just had a, I had a filthy mouth, simple as that. But I began to ask God to change my heart and change my thoughts and change the words that I use. I cut off music that actually had curse words in it. I cut off movies that had curse words in it. I tried to disconnect myself from people who used foul language the best that I could. I tried to surround myself with other Christians that didn't talk like that. And over time, God changed my heart, God changed my mind, and I don't talk that way any longer. But let me just tell you this. When I hear that, it's like nails on a chalkboard to me now. <laughs> There's some guys from Honolulu Disposal came and opened up our, our gate the other day to dump our trash. And one of them let a, a four-letter word fly. And I was just like, ah, oh, I can't believe I just heard that. Oh, my goodness. And he's emptying the garbage at a church, and he uses a curse word. And I said, uh, man, you guys have a good weekend. He said, man, I can't wait to get out of here and have a few beers. Okay, um, ha have a good weekend? I mean, wh what do you say to that? I don't know what to say to that. You know why? Because that's not the world that I live in any longer. I once was a part of that world, but I don't know that kind of stuff anymore. And it makes me feel uncomfortable to be around it. And when we're saved and we have the Spirit of God living inside of us, we become very uncomfortable with our sin. Next, we have a gratitude for grace. I recognize that everything that I have in my life is a gift of God. I'm so thankful for His loving, merciful, saving grace. God gave me what I did not deserve. God withheld from me the things that I actually did deserve, his punishment and wrath. And I'm so thankful that God is so good to me. I'm so thankful that I don't have to earn my spot with God, that Jesus Christ paid it all. I'm thankful for songs like tonight, like I can come to God just as I am. I can come broken, wounded, empty, and God says, come here, son, I've got everything that you need. And oh, I'm so thankful, so grateful for the grace of God. Next, growth and sanctification and separation from sin. This is me analyzing my life, saying, hey, there's some things in my life that need to change. Now that I'm a child of God, now that I'm walking with Jesus, there's some stuff that's got to go. And I want to be more like Christ day by day. And that requires me to die to self and put my sin to death and to mortify the deeds of the flesh the way that Paul says. And requires me to analyze my life and anything that doesn't measure up to Christ's standard has got to go. Next, growth in Christ's likeness. I want to be like Jesus. And again, if, if you need a bracelet that says, WWJD on it to remind you what would Jesus do? That's fine for a minute, I guess. But there should come a point where Christ-like response is just the natural for me. How would Jesus handle this situation? I know that Jesus is kind. Jesus is patient. He's long-suffering. I know that he's a, a person of love. I know that he had joy. I know that people enjoyed being around him. I know that he was the type of person who had a kind word for people and endeared people to come to him. 
He was the type of kid, a type of guy that would kneel down and talk to other people's kids and make those kids feel important and special. I want to be like that. I want to change. I want people to see Jesus Christ in my life. Next, evidence of the Holy Spirit at work. I'll never forget, there's a man uh, several years ago that was led to Christ here at Huikala. And he uh, has to make an appointment with me like two weeks later. I sat down with him. He's like, Pastor, I don't know what happened in my life. He goes, but I'm really nervous. I said, man, what happened? He said, ever since the day I got saved, he goes, I realize my life is a wreck. I'm living in sin. And every single thing that I do displeases God. And I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I didn't feel like this two weeks ago. Well, friend, that's called the Holy Spirit of God. What does that mean? Part of what the Holy Spirit's job is, is to convict the world of sin. Part of the Holy Spirit's job is to remind you of all the things that Jesus said. He goes, that's the thing, like, something doesn't even come out of my mouth, and I'm already feeling terrible about it. That's the Spirit of God at work in your life. And again, John tells us that that's an evidence of salvation because 1 John chapter 3, verse number 23, and this is his command, we should believe on the name of his son Jesus and love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he has given us. So again, the Holy Spirit is, is, again, gives us evidence. The Bible tells us that the Spirit of God has a connection with our spirit to remind us that we are the children of God. A desire to bring other people to Jesus. Hey, I want other people to know what I've learned. Hey, I've accepted Christ as Savior. Now I want my family to know Jesus as well. I want my coworker to know Jesus as well. I was talking uh, with one of our men today after the service. He says, oh, i got a, uh, a supervisor at work. That Man, he's just a rough guy, but I, I really believe that he needs Jesus. And I think he'd be a totally different guy if he met Jesus. You know what that is? That's a desire for other people to know what I know. I don't know about you, but when I got saved, again, I was nine. I didn't know nothing about nothing, but I thought to myself, I feel like I've just unlocked the secret to the universe, and I want to tell everybody about it. Like, how good is this? That desire to make Jesus known. Next, obvious spiritual fruit. What does spiritual fruit look like? Galatians 5, and 23. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Man, I see a change in this person. I mean, when we in yesterday, and I say, hey, man, I see obvious fruit in your life. I don't spend a lot of time with you, but I just see you in passing, the way that you interact with other men, the way that you interact with your wife, and I see fruit there. That's good, man. Keep that up. Next, continued faithfulness to Jesus. I really hope that wherever you're at, 10, 15, 20 years from now, I can look you up and I know that on a Sunday morning, you're gathered together with God's people, worshiping Jesus and serving the Lord. I hope, that's my prayer for every single person in this room. But I can tell you after pastoring for only eight years, that's not going to be the case. Some people are going to fall off the wagon. Some people are going to become disappointed with Christ. Some people were just doing it because they felt like it would advance their career, felt like it would advance their, uh, you know, social life. They'd make more friends this way or something like that, and it wasn't real for them to begin with. But those that it's real, I think they'll, they'll stick it out to the end. Last passage of Scripture I want us to take a look at tonight is 1 John chapter 2, verse number 19. 
This is, this is a super heavy verse. First John chapter 2, verse number 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have no doubt continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. There's a lot of us is there, but he's saying, hey, these people left the faith because they were never Christians to begin with. Again, there's been uh, several instances over the last couple of years where, quote, celebrity Christians, and I hate that term with every fiber of my being, have apostatized or basically come out and say they're no longer a Christian. They no longer believe. They've deconstructed, which is a fancy way of saying that they've apostatized or walked away from their faith. And some of them who were megachurch pastors and super influential and authors and sold millions of books and things like that have said, I wasn't, I'm, not, I'm no longer a Christian. And then the question comes, well, is that person still saved? I think according to John here, I don't know that they ever were saved. Now, my place to judge, not even close. But I can go based on the evidence of Scripture. If they claim to not be a Christian any longer, the thing was, you don't lose your salvation, so you never were a Christian to begin with, according to John. They left the church. Now, now again, I'm not talking about left who we call a Baptist church and went to, you know, First Baptist Church or First Community Church or First Bible Church. I'm talking about they left the faith, John's saying here, because they never were a Christian to begin with. Now, again, does that mean if you drop out of church and don't go to church for six months, you're not a Christian? Not what he's saying there. Again, remember the difference between proof and evidence. And remember what James says, your works are just a matter of your faith and what's going on with you. And look, if you can totally disconnect from the things of God and call that your past and you're moving on in the future without Christ, you never had Christ to begin with. So, Again, as we look at this, it's important to understand, final thought here tonight, we should be able to point to evidence of our salvation in our lives rather than making excuses why there's no fruit. So many times people are like, oh, you know, I, I don't have that kind of fruit because I'm still working through this, or I don't have that kind of fruit because I, I grew up in a different church, or I, I don't have that kind of fruit in my life because of X, Y, or Z. I don't have that kind of fruit because my wife's not 100% on board, or my husband's not 100% on board, or I don't have that kind of fruit because, you know, raising kids is, 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 is stressful. I don't have that kind of fruit because I don't have the ability to just sit around and read the Bible all day like most people in the church do. <laughs> Stop making excuses for why there's no fruit. Because James says, if you have faith but don't have works, I question your faith. And it's not the type of faith that anybody wants because that type of faith is dead. And so you and I should be able to say, if I say, hey, are you saved? Absolutely, I know for sure that I'm saved. How do you know that you're saved? I hope you can point to a time, a date, and a place where you were born again. That's helpful. But if you're just going to tell me that you, like me, prayed a prayer at nine years old, and that's how you know that you're saved, that's a good place to start, but a terrible place to finish. 
hey, I know that I'm saved because I know the Spirit of God is at work in my life. I've seen God change me over the last two decades to be more like Jesus Christ. I see more of Jesus Christ in my life and less of me as time goes on as I mature in Christianity. I have a burning desire in the depths of my soul to let the world know about Jesus Christ. I'm unashamedly a Christian and I'm willing to be out there with my faith regardless of what may come. I want to see real tangible fruit in my life. I want my flesh to be put to death. I hate my sin with every fiber of my being. And when I sin against my Savior, it grieves me to the depths of my soul. That's how I know that I'm saved. You with me? Now again, if you prayed a prayer when you were nine years old, it's a good place to start. I was born again by the Spirit of God at nine years old, but I didn't walk with Jesus until I was in my early 20s. There's a difference in, and again, accepting Christ as Savior and truly walking the walk. I didn't walk my walk until I was in my early 20s. And let me just tell you, the last 20 plus years of my life have been the most incredible, awesome experience of my life because I chose to walk with Jesus. That's how I know that I'm saved. And so if you're here tonight and you say, Pastor, maybe I prayed a prayer one time, but I don't, I don't get those things that you're talking about. I would just cause you to evaluate where you stand with God. Now again, I'm not trying to create doubt in anybody's mind. I want to give you things that you can point to tangibly and say, yes, I know for a fact I'm saved by the Spirit of God because I see these evidences of salvation in my life. I see fruit in my life. I desire fruit in my life. I want you to point to that, but if you're here tonight and you say, hey, look, I prayed a prayer, but nothing in my life ever changed when I prayed that prayer, I would just challenge you to evaluate where you stand with God. And again, it's one of the hardest things in the world to talk with parents. They say, hey, I remember my kid prayed a prayer one time in third grade in Sunday school, but he never had an appetite for spiritual things, no desire for the things of God, got involved in a bunch of stuff in high school, grew up to be an adult, never darkened the door of a church ever again. If he's still saved, hmm, let me just tell you, if he was ever truly biblically saved, he's still saved, that's for sure. But I think any, all of us would have a hard time finding any spiritual fruit in that life. And praying a prayer didn't ever really save anybody. It was all about repentance and faith and putting ourselves under the authority of Christ as Savior. And so if you're here tonight and you don't know for sure that you're saved, please don't leave without knowing for sure your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home. But for those of us that are Christians, man, let's work on making sure that our life backs up what we say. That's really critical. That's really important because faith without works is dead. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.